podcast family, when I say medicine moves fast, I mean it really does move fast. And this topic that we're covering today is proof of that. You see, we're doing this podcast on July the 28th, 2023. And on today's date, ACOG just released a practice advisory, the title of which is Adjuvant HPV Vaccination for Patients Undergoing Treatment of CIN 2 or More. Yep, this comes right off the heels of something that was published in January 2023. Like, well, it's been six months. Is that fast? Yeah, that's actually very fast for medicine because this is on the heels of the updated committee opinion by the American Society of Colposcopy and Cervical Pathology, the ASCCP. And we're going to talk about all of this in this episode. There's a lot of groundbreaking data that's out about HPV vaccination in those patients who already have cervical dysplasia. Now, let's stop there for a minute because historically I learned, hey, oh, well, it's too bad. I mean, you kind of missed your window if you were unvaccinated vaccinated, now you've got CIN2 or more, and you're already getting treatment, so vaccination really won't be helpful, right? I mean, after all, vaccination is to prevent dysplasia, and you already got it. But that's not what the evidence shows. So in this episode, we're going to cover a lot of data covering Gardasil and the schedule of vaccination according to the CDC. We're going to talk about the ASCCP committee opinion that actually came out in January 2023 in print, but was released as an EPUB on October the 21st, 2022. Yeah, that's last fall. And of course, we're going to summarize the new practice advisory from the college that came out today, July the 28th, 2023. So the next time that you treat a patient for moderate to severe dysplasia, consider whether they have HPV vaccination or not. And if they don't have it, you got to get them vaccinated because that has big clinical implications. We're going to discuss all of this in this episode. Medicine moves real fast. We're here to help us all keep up the pace. This is Clinical Pearls. My goodness, there's always seems to be some sort of update or change regarding HPV and cervical dysplasia. And that's good. I mean, we want it to keep changing because that means that we're learning stuff about it. Remember that the people who really govern those guidance are the ASCCP, okay? That's the American Society for Colposcopy and Cervical Pathology. Even what we do after treatment for CIN2 or more has changed. Remember that the last update was in 2019. And that went out in print in 2020 in the Journal of Lower Genital Tract Disease. All right. So we all know that those are the uh, risk-based management consensus guidelines for how to, treat, uh, how to treat with cervical dysplasia. Okay. So again, that was the 2019 ASCCP risk-based management consensus guidelines that came out in 2020 in the Journal of Lower Genital Tract Disease. Now, remember that we're going to get to the ACOG practice advisory here in just a moment. But since we're talking about treatment for CIN2 or more, let's just briefly go back to that 2020 publication and talk about post-treatment surveillance, okay? What is the short-term follow-up after treatment of histological high-grade intraepithelial lesion, okay? So remember that historically, all right, you did a leap. Now, I remember that they used to come back every six months for a PAP and COPO. Oh, uh, you got CIN2. 
two. I did a leap in the office. And they came back every six months for two years. A little excessive. Now, nothing about nothing wrong with being super conservative. But the problem is being super conservative isn't good, just like being too liberal in care isn't good either. So in the 2020 practice update, the ASCCP said, look, after you do treatment for CIN2 or more, of course, that's histological HCIL, then HPV-based testing at six months is the preferred algorithm regardless of the margin status of the excised specimen. All right. So you do a leap. Great. You got positive margins. Fine. Or you don't. I get that. It doesn't matter. HPV-based testing at six months is the preferred follow-up. In this guidance, it tells you the rationale why that's the case. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing a repeat copo and, and biopsies at that time. That's totally fine. You can do that at six months. However, the preferred, remember the words by ASCCP are preferred and then acceptable. It says the preferred is six months, the HPV check. And if your HPV is positive, then you can go ahead and do copo and appropriate biopsies. But it is still acceptable to not do the HPV check at six months and just go straight with colposcopy and ECC. But here's a clinical pearl, guys. Remember this. The reason that HPV is the preferred follow-up after treatment of CIN2 is because the evidence shows that post-treatment HPV testing is the most accurate predictor of treatment outcome. Now, yes, the relative risk of persistence or recurrence is almost five times higher after an excision with positive margins compared to negative margins, that's absolutely true. However, and here's the clinical pearl, only 56% of persistent or recurrent precancer was actually predicted by those positive margin status. So it's actually not very accurate just using margin status alone. That's the good news. So the ASCCP goes on to say, quote, the poor ability for margin status to predict persistence or recurrent precancer argues against differentiating follow-up testing by margin status alone. In contrast, the ability of HPV-based testing to predict persistent or recurrent histological high-grade lesions is 91% and does not differ significantly between patients with positive compared to negative margins, end quote. Okay, so as we wrap up the information from 2020, if you do a leap, you do an excisional treatment for CIN2 or more, it's preferred to do an HPV check at six months because it's much more accurate. It has much better positive predictive value. If that HPV is positive, it's much more likely to detect recurrent or persistent disease than margin status alone. Now, remember, this new ACOG practice advisory has to do with this treatment. It's basically the excision of CIN2 or more and, and ways to prevent recurrence. So we get the follow-up, right? All right, so we excised it. Now we're going to wait to see what happens. But rather than just waiting anxiously and think about that stress that the patient has, man, do I still have HPV? Will I not? Um, and you got to wait for six months. It's a long time. There's now an intervention that can be done, if appropriate, that can greatly reduce the chance of not just HPV uh, persistence, but obviously of recurrent disease, all right? And that's the focus of the practice advisory. Okay, so before we get into the practice advisory, I think it's helpful to go over that HPV vaccine schedule and dosing once again, okay? 
I know we do it routinely and sometimes even we don't do it. I mean, it's just, you know, we default it to our nursing staff or our MAs do it, but we still got to get this right because this is exactly what the practice advisory is dealing with. It's HPV vaccination. So the, I love how the CDC kind of puts it because honestly, the FDA just says, hey, yeah, it's approved, you know, nine to 45, knock yourself out. Uh, they, have, they have more info in that, but that's basically the gist. Like, yeah, Gardasil, it's good. 9 to 45. But if you actually go to the CDC website uh, regarding HPV vaccine schedule and dosage, they really break it up into a much easier to understand uh, formula. Okay, so there's three main boxes for HPV vaccination. All right, so let's cover this quickly and then we'll get into the practice advisory. I like how the CDC puts it because there really are three different levels or flavors of HPV vaccination, okay? So yes, it can start as early as age nine, but really between ages 11 and 12, that is the routine vaccination uh, interval. That's really when it's uh, best done, even though you can start as early as nine. So you have the routine vaccination, which should start between ages 11 and 12. Then you have the catch-up vaccination, which is anything from age 13 to 26 years, all right? And that's those who weren't adequately vaccinated or maybe they had one, didn't complete the series. That allows you to have catch-up vaccination, okay? So you have routine vaccination, 11 to 12, catch-up vaccination up to age 26, so 13 to 26. And then you have this third box, which is the focus really uh, also of the ACOG practice advisory, which is between 27 and 45. Yes, Gardasil is approved in that. However, the CDC says that that's a special category called shared decision-making, okay? So in the shared decision-making, that's for adults aged 27 to 45 who have not been adequately vaccinated before. Now, let's talk about what adequately vaccinated means. That means completing the vaccination schedule as recommended by the CDC. There is a two-dose regimen, and then there is a three-dose regimen. The two-dose regimen is recommended for individuals who get the shot before their 15th birthday, all right? So in other words, from age 9 to age 14. In this two-dose series, the second dose should be given anywhere from 6 months to 12 months after the first dose. So you get it first dose at zero, and then the second is at six to 12 months. Now, here's something super important, all right? The minimum interval is five months between the first and the second dose. And if that second dose is administered after a shorter interval, like, hey, I've got my first Gardasil uh, and, you know, I'm 12, and then I got another one three months later, because the minimal interval for immunological response is five months, if that second shot is given in this age range less than that, then they do require a third dose that should be given a minimum of five months. That's five months after the first dose and a minimum of three months or 12 weeks after the second dose. All right, everybody confused? Let's redo that again. Okay, so the minimum interval is five months between the first and the second shot. And if that second shot is given shorter than that, then they require a third dose, and that needs to be at a minimum of five months after the initial dose and a minimum of 12 weeks or three months after the second dose was given. 
Now, the good news is that if the vaccination schedule is somehow interrupted for whatever reason, the vaccine doses do not need to be repeated. In other words, there's no maximum interval that they can be spaced. So that's good news. And then there's a three-dose regimen, and that's for individuals who get their first dose on or after their 15th birthday. Now, in a three-dose series, the second dose should be given one to two months after the first dose, and then the final, the third dose should be given six months after the first dose. In other words, the schedule is zero, that's shot one, and then shot two at one to two months after the first one, and then shot three is six months after the initial vaccine. And just like for those individuals who are 9 to 14 years of age, there is a minimum interval by which the shots can be given, all right? In other words, you got to give the shot and let the body give it some time to actually make a response before you introduce another one, okay? So in this age range, in other words, those over the age of 15 in the, the three-dose regimen, the minimum interval is four weeks, in other words, one month between the first and second dose. It's three months between the second and the third dose. And then it's five months between the first and the final dose, the third dose. All right, so let's redo that again. The minimum interval is one month between the first and second dose. It's three months between that second and the third dose. And the minimum for the last dose needs to be five months at least from the initial vaccine. Now, do you see why I keep that schedule a snapshot on my phone and also in my documents uh, on my iPhone? Because I always forget the months, okay? I know uh, the routine vaccination, the catch-up vaccination, and the shared decision-making. I get that. But I always have to remember the minimums, okay? So I do have that as a snapshot. And again, you can go to the CDC website. I'll put that on our reference list because it is very nice to have as a quick reference. We put that up on the wall. Have it in your uh, P&P book, your procedure and policies, because uh, it's a nice go-to um, as a quick reference to not just which age group gets which vaccine, but also, of course, the dosing regimen, the minimum intervals between each shot. All right, podcast family, that's all the groundwork, okay? That's all the background info. Now when we come back, let's touch on the ASCCP committee opinion from January 2023. Really, that started to stir all of this up. Remember, this was an EPUB in the fall of 2022, the fall of last year when it came out October the 21st, 2022. And the title of this committee opinion is Adjuvant Human Papillomavirus Vaccine for Patients Undergoing Treatment for Cervical Intrapathy Again, this laid the groundwork for the new practice advisory that came out on July the 28th. So let's cover the original ASCCP committee opinion coming up next. In October 21st, 2022, the ASCCP committee opinion came out as a publication ahead of print. It finally came out in the Journal of Lower Genital Tract Disease officially in January 2023. So we started out this year with this new update, okay? And this was a special task force from the ASCCP that wanted to see, hey, if, if is there a role for giving HPV vaccination for those who were not 
previously vaccinated, okay? That was in previously unvaccinated individuals who are undergoing treatment for CIN2 or more, all right? And the whole reason to do this is to see if it could reduce recurrence rates. Remember, the old philosophy was, man, that's too bad. Oh, well, I mean, you're supposed to try to prevent it, but now you already got it. So HPV vaccine really won't help you. So they took a look at all of this data and what they found was was pretty surprising because they actually did find that in those who were previously unvaccinated, there was a benefit to adjuvant HPV vaccination using, quote, shared decision making, end quote. We've always talked about that in previous podcasts, right? That's a famous tagline, shared decision making. Um, in those who were undergoing treatment for CIN2 uh, and who had not had the vaccine, giving them the vaccine to look for clearance, all right? So the conclusions after looking at the data, the ASCCP said the following, quote, the American Society for Colposcopy and Cervical Pathology recommends adherence to current CDC recommendations for vaccination of individuals aged 9 to 26 years and consideration of the possible benefit of adjuvant HPV vaccination during shared decision making for previously unvaccinated individuals who are aged 27 to 45 who are undergoing treatment for CIN2. All right, now let's stop here for a minute. Why did they use 27 to 45 in that age group? Well, because we already covered that. Remember, the FDA has three tiers of vaccination, routine, catch-up, and then shared decision-making. And it's that shared decision-making, that 27 to 45, where these patients fall into because it's not routine vaccination because that's 9 to 26. Catch-up vaccination, as we mentioned before, um, is a separate category. And so this falls up into the shared decision-making, which is age 27 to 45. And if you've already forgotten, don't go have to rewind it. It's okay. Remember, routine vaccination, let's do it again. Age 11 to 12, though you can start as early as 9. Catch-up vaccination is age 13 to 26. So that covers the routine vaccination group. Because remember, it's approved from 9 to 26. And then that shared decision-making is for adults 27 to 46 who have not been adequately vaccinated previously. This brings us now to the new practice advisory. So this practice advisory is important because, yes, ASCCP had their guidance, but it's always nice when the college kind of puts their stamp on it as well because then we can say, hey, we're just not following the ASCCP, but we're following ASCCP and our college because there really is value here in this in this shared decision-making category for those who have not been treated and are undergoing surgical management for CIN2. The college states that even after surgical treatment, recurrence rates for CIN grade two or more range anywhere from 10% to 14%. And it goes on to say that recent data from meta-analyses and observational studies do demonstrate that adjuvant HPV vaccine in the setting of surgically managed CIN2 in previously unvaccinated individuals, right? So that's the catch. They have to have had no vaccination before. But if they get vaccination at the time of the excision, it actually reduces the risk of recurrence. In the ACOG practice advisory, there is a quoted meta-analysis of 11 studies that compared adjuvant HPV vaccination with surgery alone, and they found a 65% overall risk reduction of new or persistent CIN2 or more in those that had HPV vaccination at the time of the excision. Guys, that's 65%. That's pretty dramatic. 
Ah, now there is a catch here, okay? So these patients should be immunocompetent, all right? Because for individuals who are immunocompromised, this role of catch-up vaccination is, is much less clear because there's concerns about the effectiveness of HPV anyway. If they're immunocompromised, they may not be able to mount that immune response to clear HPV, okay? So ACOG makes it very clear. It's, it, it's, it's not sure if in those who are immunocompromised, like those with HIV or a history of solid organ transplantation, or those who are taking prescribed immunosuppressive medications, if this idea, if they're being treated for CAN2, if this, if this makeup catch and, uh, vaccination plan will be as effective. So ACOG says you can probably give it, but there's more data in that special population who are immunocompromised because it's not clear right now if, if that's going to benefit like those who are immunocompetent. All right, podcast family, you should be thinking to yourself, wait, uh, do I like give them the shot in the arm and then leap them? Do I bring them back in a month? I mean, what does this look like, right? How, how does this get implemented? And that's a great question. And the answer is, uh, nobody really knows, all right? The good news is we know it works, but the optimal timing is not real clear. There is data to suggest that initiating vaccination anywhere from time of excision up to three months prior to colonization rather than zero to 12 months after colonization is much more effective in reducing persistence or recurrent high-grade CIN, all right? So let's say that again. It seems to be better given it either at time of excision or about three months prior to excision. Now, of course, the question is, well, I'm not going to make her wait three months before I excise it. And that's the catch here, all right? But the idea is to give the vaccine anywhere from uh, time of excision or hopefully just a little bit before to try to mount that immune response. It seems to work much better that way than when you give it after the fact, all right? So let me read you the exact quote from the college. But the idea is give it, even though we don't know the exact timing, best to give it either at time of excision or, or, or just prior to the surgical treatment for CIN2. The college states, quote, there is some data to suggest that initiating vaccination zero to three months prior to cone rather than zero to 12 months post cone is more effective in reducing persistence or recurrent high-grade lesions. However, and guys, here's the clinical pearl, they go on to say, at this time, the optimal timing of adjuvant HPV vaccine remains unknown. Large randomized controlled trials that will inform future practice recommendations are currently ongoing, end quote. Well, podcast family, never let it be said that we are behind the wheel, behind the ball, or late to the game, all right? Because this practice advisory came out today, and yes, I'm actually on call. Thank you very much. Man, I got two people in labor. It's Friday evening. And it's a good thing I love what I do, but I'd like to see my family. Actually, I got to go and lay out my dog. I think he's been trapped inside the house for several hours. That must be fun when I get home. Oh, boy. Anyway, but I am on call, but I couldn't resist. And so I've, I've got this together. I'm going to send this to the team. Hopefully, they can patch this up quickly because I want this out uh, by tonight on July the 28th. So there you go. This is ACOG's new practice advisory on giving HPV vaccination for those who already have dysplasia. If you're doing surgical management of CIN2 or more and they have not been vaccinated in this shared decision-making cohort, those over the age of 26, talk to them about getting the vaccine because getting HPV vaccination uh, in in the usual formula, the usual protocol seems to reduce recurrence.
All right, podcast family, I got to get back to labor and delivery. So as always, we're thankful for you and we're glad you're part of our podcast community. And we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.